few verses, please, from Acts chapter 1, and then we'll look at other things. But I need to read it, verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their sight. While they steadfastly looked toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Keep your Bible open. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the praise of your people. We thank you for all that's been sung and done for Jody and Hannah and the songs they brought. And you alone are holy, Lord. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the gifts and the talents that are in this, under this roof tonight in this tent. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing. We thank you for your spirit. Now, Lord, we rest and wait on your coveted anointing to be on your word and on your people that thy word would find a resting place on every heart and in every mind. Inscribe thy word in our hearts, Lord. Imprint thy word into our minds. And cause us, Lord, to digest it, to eat it up. Father, we love you. We worship you. We love your Son, the Lord Jesus. Now may I, Spirit, take his own word and ride as it were, furiously in his own chariot to the breast of men and women, to the glory of thy name. For Jesus' sake I pray. Amen. Amen. We're not going to do much from last week because there would be too much. But if you notice from our reading in verse 11, there were two men in white apparel, we're told, which also said, Ye men of Galilee... Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now last week we looked at the reasons why we should, as believers, be looking for, watching, waiting and praying for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why we should be up and doing serving and alert for the coming of the Lord. We don't want to go back and uh, go through it all again, for it would just take too much time. But we did look at many other things, and we stopped around uh, some of the things that will happen when Jesus returns or when Jesus comes back again. First of all, when Jesus comes again, his coming will be personal. We mentioned some of these last week, but... This will be our run-in to this evening's meeting. His coming will be personal for, in our reading in verse 11, it says, This same 
Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Notice this same Jesus. He's coming personally. He's coming for his redeemed. Then we looked at John 14, and we'll just lift out verse 3, where the Lord Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, notice, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. In two chapters that we'll look at more extensively this evening. The first one is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we only want to lift one verse at the moment. It says in verse 16, for the Lord himself. So he's coming personally. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So Christ will come personally again. Secondly, he will come visibly. His coming will be visible. Acts chapter 1, verse 10, please. Verse 9 even. And when he, the Lord Jesus, had spoken these things, while, notice, they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him, notice, out of their sight. And he's coming in our sight. Verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men in white, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Notice their view is toward heaven in all of these verses. Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him. Go into heaven. So Jesus is coming again personally, and his coming is visibly. We will see him. Luke chapter 21 and verse 27. It says, And they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And then again in Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 20, it says, For our conversation is in heaven. We looked at that word Conversation. I might mention it a little later again. Notice from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he will come within our view and he will come within our sight. In Revelation chapter 1 and in verse 7, we're, we're told it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. So Christ is coming. He's coming personally. He's coming visibly. And when Jesus comes again, we, we left there last week. Jesus comes again. He's coming audibly. Audibly. Let's look at First Thessalonians chapter 4, please. First Thessalonians chapter 4, let your eye run down to verse 13. Paul writes, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. 
In other words, those who have died in Christ. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now notice, for the Lord himself, we have, noted, we have mentioned that, notice, shall descend from heaven with a shout. It will be audible. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Nothing secret about that. There's nothing secret about that. Notice there's a shout. There's a voice and there's a trump. And brothers and sisters, you can see when Jesus comes again, this shout, this trump, this noise is going to be spread throughout the heavens. And even the dead who have went on to the rest in the Lord, they will rise again from the place where their body lies. You may think of maybe one of your loved ones who was a saved man or a saved woman. A loved one who, who died and we feel so bereft of the loss of it because they're gone. It's so final to you and it's so final to me when a loved one dies. And it's like you're, the idea that you're never going to see them again. It, it hits you in waves and then it dies away and we get on with life maybe for a day or two, maybe for an hour or two or maybe for a year or two. But suddenly the wave of the reality that they're actually gone just washes over you. The reality that they'll never, they'll never be back again. But brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us that we have a hope in Christ. The Bible tells us that we have a hope. Look at Paul says in verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, without the knowledge of this, he means. The Lord wants you to have knowledge on these matters. But I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or who have died in Christ. Notice that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Paul didn't say that the Christian doesn't sorrow and miss their loved one. He didn't say the Christian doesn't sorrow and, and yearn for their loved one. He says, but there's something in the Christian knowing that those who have died and went on in Christ, that they know in themselves that they will be reunited again when Jesus comes back. We're going to see our loved ones who have died in him. It's not going to be a wonderful day to be reunited with him and in him. Notice, brothers and sisters, notice this. There will be when the Lord himself returns. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether your loved one is buried up in the, uh, the cemetery around the corner here, or, or one just down the road here. It doesn't matter if they were lost at sea, and they became, as it were, uh, lost to the sea and they were out by the fish and passed through the draught even of the fish. It doesn't matter if they went to dust and powder and ash. It doesn't matter. 
Think of those, the early, uh, the early reformers and the believers before that of the first century who died in Christ for their faith. He knows the very DNA of each and every one of us. He knows the very spot where we are. Even if we were scattered all over the earth, I can tell you, God just gives a shout and we'll all come together again. How's he do it? I don't know. But he said he's going to do it and I believe him. I believe him. And what a day it will be whenever there's the great resurrection of the dead in Christ. Notice then, it says in verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to look at that again in a moment. Will you go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? These are the two main chapters, probably, that we will look at tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. Verse 51. In fact, if you will, when you go home, try and read the whole chapter and read it slowly and digest it. Let's go to verse 50. Even listen to what Paul says. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. You know what Paul's saying here? Paul is saying here in verse 50 that flesh and blood... Human will, human standing, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter your height, your depth, doesn't matter how low and sin you've got. It says here that humans cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You see, it's all done by sovereign grace in the Lord. It's all done by the sovereign grace of Christ. Don't worry about the lights if someone has... Uh, a little bit of epilepsy and they need the lights turned off sometimes and we want them here because this is where they should be in the house of the Lord and we'll pray for them and they're, they're doing good. So don't worry about the lights. Paul is saying here that our flesh, our flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's why we're going to look at the moment when Christ returns, when Jesus comes again. You know what he's going to do with my rotten old flesh and your rotten old flesh? He's going to change it. It's going to be changed, incorruptible, immortalized. And we'll be able to stand in his presence, hence his glory would consume us even in our flesh. But note here what he says in verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or will not all die, but we shall all be changed. What Paul's saying is when Christ returns, there'll be Christians who are alive. He's not saying when you're a Christian, you won't die. He's saying you'll be a Christian and you may be alive when Jesus returns. So maybe say he came tomorrow, say he came next year and we're all still alive in God's grace. Well, Paul is saying that the dead in Christ will rise first. It will be personal. It will be visible. It will be audible. The very ground will open up with the the dead loved ones raising up and they're changed in the moment, glorified before God, showing the full redemption that is in Christ. And then if we were alive, he says, we will see it. We will see the graves open. We will see loved ones who have died in Christ rising from the dirt. Doesn't matter if they're six foot under or ten foot under or twelve foot under. 
It doesn't matter if they were lost in a caving accident 150 meters underground. If they were Christ's, they will rise again. They'll rise again from the very ground. And we will see this. And in a moment we will be changed. And you and I will also, you and I will also be changed to be like Jesus. You see, you thought I was going to say to be like them, didn't you? No, we're going to be changed to be like him. To be like Christ. Notice here, if you will. Notice what Paul tells us. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. Now, I notice he didn't say he's coming in a moment. People get this wrong. People get it mixed up. The scripture does not say that. It says, we don't know the day, we don't know the hour. Yes, that he's coming, of course. But the scripture says we will be changed in the moment. In the twinkling of an eye. We'll look at that in a, in a little while. Notice here, he also says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. People say you don't preach the law anymore. Listen, how do you know your sin without the law being preached? Sin is the transgression of the law. We have to know what we're being saved from and what we're being saved to. And Paul says that the very death in us will be swallowed up in victory. Death where is thy sting, O grave where is thy victory. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. In other words, the law says to the man and woman right now, who are not in Christ, who are not saved, who are not blood-washed, who are not born again, who have never been to the cross. The law before them says you're guilty as charged. You're guilty before God. You're guilty in your sin. And they stand guilty before their father. So the law says this and says, what's the verdict? Well, the wages of sin is death. That's what the scripture says. It says you're guilty, death sentence. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you got the gift of eternal life, brothers and sisters? Are you saved tonight? Are you blood-washed tonight? Are you Christ tonight? Notice this. Notice this, if you will. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it will be audible, personable, it will be visible, it will be audible. Look at verse 52 for a moment. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that fantastic? See, I read these things. These are the sort of verses you read over a graveside, you know. You're reading it around a graveside. 
And I don't mean to cause offense to anyone. I don't mean to discourage anyone or, or cause them any harm. But, you know, see whenever you're doing the, the graveside of someone who's refused and rejected Christ all their life. And I'm standing at the graveside. I'm looking for something to say. I'm looking for words to comfort a family who are in dire need of help in their mourning and in their suffering at the loss of a loved one. And what do I say they're in heaven? I can't say that unless they were Christ's. But see, when I'm around the graveside of a loved one who was saved by grace, when I'm at the graveside of a loved one who knew and loved the Savior, boy, I can preach with gospel. I don't care who's standing around now. I don't care if it's full of those and they're all offended at the gospel. I don't care if they're offended because I'm telling them they're lost and they'll go into a lost eternity and they'll be in eternity without God, without Christ and without hope. I don't, I don't worry about that. It's not my job is to help their feelings. My job is to deliver the word and to see men and women saved by grace. And I'm round the graveside of someone who knew Christ, who loved Christ, who were saved by grace. Oh, I can preach with gusto. And I can tell them their dire need to get right with God. And I ask you tonight, are you saved? Are you right with God? If I stood at your graveside, if I stood at that hole in the ground and it was you being lowered down, what if you had walked away from God and you were backslidden and you died in your sin? What, what would I say around, the, around that graveside? What would, what would I have to say? Well, Lord, you know that I made a, a reference to you uh, so many years ago. I, I, I want to be careful what I say here, but I went to the hospital to see a lady not so long ago. Warren had asked me to go to see a man. I didn't know the man, but the man was not, he, he was so ill he couldn't respond to me. And I don't know if he's, I'm sure he was so weak, I don't know if he's still here or not, but maybe he's died without Christ. I don't, I, I dare not think it, but after I left there, I went to visit someone else and then another one in another hospital, or sorry, another ward, another two. And I sat with this lady. You know this lady, I have witnessed to this lady for 15 years on and off. 15 years. And I sat with her and I says, well, I'll not call her name out. I'll not say what her name is. I'll say her name's Teresa. Pick your name, Teresa. It wasn't Teresa, by the way, but say. And I said, well, we talked about what the doctors were saying. We're talking about how ill she'd been and talking about all those things and, and how, what they're looking to do to help her. And I sat with her and I says, okay, before I go, something when I ask you. And she knew fine rightly because I asked her it every single time. I said, are you right with God? Are you saved? Are you right with God? And she just sat and she had an oxygen mask on and the tears rolled down her cheeks. Just no sound, just tears rolling down her cheeks. I says, are you saved? Have you got yourself right with God yet? She shook her head, no. She says, you know, I thought, this time before I came to the hospital, this was my last chance, I was going to die. And I was going to write you a letter. And when my family got it, 
they were going to read it to you. And she gave me a date back in 1966 in the wee hall where she said a sinner's prayer and thought that was it. Now listen, brothers and sisters, I've said a sinner's prayer and I've come to the Lord and I was saved in an altar call and all that. So I was saved and all, but uh, saying a wee sinner's prayer doesn't save you. And you live on your life. Nobody knew. There's no confession with the mouth. So then there's no real believing in the heart. And I says, you know, the latter, I don't mean to say this to hurt you, but the latter would have meant nothing to me. The latter would have meant nothing. You need to make your calling on the election sure. That's what I said. You need to make your calling on your election sure. Now, do you want to get saved before I go and we'll pray and we'll lead you to Christ? And she just said, yes. And she cried her way to the cross. She got out of hospital a few days later, praise God. She's doing well. <laughs> thing about it is, brothers and sisters, is that standing around the graveside of someone who has went on with God, I'm talking about someone who left a testimony, not an altar call experience where they've put up a hand or walked up an aisle and said a wee prayer and there's been no change in their life. Nothing. Then they're not saved. If there's no change, there's no Christ. And if there's no Christ, there will be no change. Brothers and sisters, what a difference it is. To stand around the graveside. You'd think I was taking a funeral here, wouldn't you? <laughs> Especially the quietest one. <laughs> it's going to be some day. Should the Lord tarry. You know what the percentages are? A hundred out of one hundred are going to die. Being morbid, aren't they? I'm not being morbid. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm not walking in defeat of death. I'm walking in victory of a resurrection on the eternal life. And brothers and sisters, when Christ comes, it will be audible. I don't know what way that works. I think these are put down that we will understand to some degree, some earthly sounds, sounds that we will be able to recognize what they are. But what heaven brings is going to be a sound like never before. It's going to be a sound from heaven that wakes the dead. Wakes the dead. The dead are going to rise. Notice here, I want to move on quickly. When Jesus comes again, it will be personal, it will be visible, it will be audible. Now let's look when Jesus comes again on the earth. On the earth. What is going to happen? Well, look at First Thessalonians chapter 4 again, please. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 4 again. And notice, notice what the apostle tells us here. Verse 58. Be therefore, my brethren, therefore, my brethren, pardon me, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Christ is coming again to test the labor of the saint, the redeemed, blood-washed 
sinner. Go with me to Second Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at this for a moment. When Jesus comes again, there will be the, re- the resurrection of the righteous dead. That's what we were on there for a few seconds. Notice this. First Corinthians chapter 5, please. Sorry, Second Corinthians 5, chapter 1. Notice what Paul says. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that means if we die, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What does Jesus say in John 14? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Is not what he says. But he also says, in my Father's house are many mansions. Now listen, they're there, but they're coming here. I want you to note this. Paul is speaking about here, he says, for we know that if our earthly house, that's our body, of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands. Notice, in the heavens. Notice this verse too. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. So, if so, that be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that which would be unclothed, but clothed upon. Notice that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Paul says, there's a building There's a mansion in the glory, as it were, but it's coming to the earth when Christ returns. What is it? It's Christ preparing the way for the resurrection of the saints. And when we rise, that's our house. Our bodies die, but we'll be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. I know, and I like the wee song. I have a mansion just over the hilltop. You know, people think they're going into this big house. You know, and can you show me somewhere at all in scripture where it says that there's a, a house for you. Can you show me anywhere where Adam lived in a house, even in, the, in perfect paradise? Where does it mention Adam's house? Did he live in uh, number one, Eden Avenue, or where, where did he live? His address isn't there because he didn't need it. He had the mortal, immortalized, glorified body. And this is the tabernacle that Paul is speaking about when Christ returns. Go with me to John chapter 11, please. John 11, verses 25 and 26. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. This is after uh, the hearing of Lazarus dying and the Lord Jesus going too late, as they think so, and he's dead four days already. Notice what the Lord says, John 11 and 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now, that's the resurrection. That's what we've been speaking about when Jesus comes again. But notice verse 26. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this, he then asks. And the idea is that people tend to think that the Lord Jesus is saying, well, if you're a Christian, there's going to be you, and you'll never die. That's not what he's saying here. He's talking about the resurrection. In other words, where Paul says, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. We shall be changed and so on. What the Lord is saying is this. He is saying that he is present tense, the resurrection and the life, 
and whoever lives and believes in him shall never die. That is, when he comes again, there's people who will not see death because Christ has come back again. Notice here, if you will, there are people who are born once and die twice. And there are people who are born twice and die once. People were all born of our mothers through our father. We're all born of the flesh. And then there's those of us who are born again of the spirit. Born again of the Holy Ghost. So we're born twice. But we may only die once if Christ tarries. There'll be those of us who will be born twice. And Christ, well maybe not us, but there will be those who will be born twice. To be born of the flesh and to be born again of the spirit. And Christ will come again and they'll never even die once. Yet there are those who have all been born like you and I through our mothers. And they've died without Christ. They will be resurrected and they will be judged again to be put into the lake of fire which is the second death. They'll die twice. Turn with me briefly, quickly to Revelation chapter 20 please. Revelation 20. Notice, if you will, verse 4, just for time's sake, please. And I saw thrones, and them that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, Jesus has come back here. Notice verse 5, and the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. When Jesus comes again, then you and I who are saved will not only be changed with those who are died in Christ, who will be resurrected and changed, but then we will live and rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And notice what it says, that's the first resurrection. Paul speaks of about receiving a better resurrection. Better resurrection. This is definitely a better resurrection. For look at the next one. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death. There's those who are not saved. And they have died a second time. The second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations. Now, we haven't time to read all of this. Let your eye run down, if you will, please, to verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell, or the grave, or the region of the dead, that is, delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell, or death and the grave, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There's the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
What resurrection will you be in? What resurrection will you be in? Everybody in that side too. What resurrection will you be in? The first one, to be priests of God. Or the second one, to be judged guilty and put into a lake of fire. When Jesus comes again, brothers and sisters, it's not all picnic and fancy furry tales. It's not all little colorful uh, unicorns and hearts and flowers and picnics and, and, and dandelions and all this sort of stuff that we hear about. It's not nothing like that. This is serious stuff. And people are ignoring it and turning away from Christ. And hence, when Jesus comes again on the earth, the righteous dead will receive their new body. Secondly, when Jesus comes again on the earth, the righteous will have a glorified body. And we have looked at that. They will be changed in a moment. First Corinthians chapter 51. And Paul says in verse 52 that we shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Will you say moment? Will you say it loud? I just want you to say it in case it's at all falling asleep on me. It went very quiet. So hear the word moment. We shall be changed in a moment. Changed in a moment. The word moment here is the word atomos. It's where we get our word atom from. An atom bomb. A-T-O-M. And then Paul was using words like that in the Greek script. A little atom. You think it was a new thing that we had found or scientists had looked down the, the, the little microscope and they're looking down and found this new thing called an atom. God's word tells us about an atom 2,000 years ago. And notice this, it says that we shall be changed in a moment, an atomos, or in the twinkling of an eye. Gives the idea, the word atom, that which cannot be cut in two. It's so small. But how did they make the atom bomb? Man decided to work out how to cut it in two. Man wanted to find out more than God's word to cut it in two. That's how uh, you make an atom bomb when you can cut the atom in two, the power to be released of it. And Paul is saying, like that atomic power, in that uh, short period of time, we shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Listen to what Philippians 3 and verse 21 says. Philippians chapter 3, please, and verse 21. Of our Lord Jesus says, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his own glorious body. Isn't that fantastic? That our bodies will be changed to be like his. You know, brothers and sisters, when we... We looked at when Paul said in Philippians 3 and 20, for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at how the word conversation is the word politoma. Politoma. And it's where we get Paul, it's where we get politic. The politics. That's the root word for politics or political or policing. And as I talked last week, Paul says, Our head is in heaven. Our politics is in heaven. Our politoma, our conversation, 
all of what our rule or civil authority, it means they have the idea of a civil government. He's saying our government is in the glory. So whenever the government of the land come against the word of God, Jesus says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. And the apostle says, we should rather obey God than man. And so when they take away from the things of God and they want to impose unjust laws and they want to, as it were, lock us down and hold us out and tell us we cannot worship our Lord for it's coming again where the preacher will be told you can't preach in this and you can't preach in that and you can't say this and you can't say that. Listen, here's what we say. Our politics comes from heaven. Our God is on the throne. Brothers and sisters, and he says, he, this great political power, this great king who's coming, when Jesus comes again, it says, the powers of heaven will come. It will be personal. It will be visible. The skies shall roll back like a scroll. It will be audible. It will waken the dead. Do you know, I have to whisper this bit. There's a neighbor over there who keeps giving off because they keep shouting. <laughs> he hits the gospel, well, I hope it wakens the dead. When Christ returns, he's going to waken the dead. The headstones will probably fall over. The graves will turn over. The soil will come up. You'll think it's like giant moans coming out. It's just come right out of the graves. Change in the moment. In the twinkling of an eye. And the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Well, you know who will be in the glory in the midst of it? The Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ will come. And all his holy angels with him. Brothers and sisters. Here's what. Here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Where's the Lord coming? He's coming to the, cl- the skies. Now see the word er. It's a, there's a Hebrew or a Greek word or er. And it can be any er. It doesn't need to be a way up the sky. It can be actually the air we breathe here, this level. It gives the idea when Paul says I'm, that he, he cometh not as one that beateth the air. Paul's shadow boxing, you know. Paul says, I'm not beating the air. You know, he's talking about the air at this level. So it can be any part of this. He can move as a foot off the ground and changes. Doesn't necessarily mean as he comes in the powers of heaven. It means that we'll just go up, boom, change. Doesn't necessarily mean a way up there. Says we'll meet him in the clouds. That's another word we need to look at. Because that means he'll be coming. So we're surrounded, as it were, clothes are compassed about with a greater power cloud of witness in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. And it doesn't mean clouds, it means the witness that's left behind. It's like a great cloud of faith of Hebrews chapter 11. doesn't always necessarily mean big, white, fluffy, puffy clouds in the air. But the word AR can be the air that we breathe. It may be up there, but it may be down here. Either way, he's just going to change us in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. I don't care as long as he comes. I don't care what way he does it, as long as he comes. Listen to what Jude says. So first of all, brothers and sisters, the righteous will be resurrected. The righteous will be changed. The righteous will be caught up. 
And when Jesus comes again, the righteous will return with Christ. We will be with him. Listen to what Jude says. Jude, it's only one little chapter in it, verses 14 and 15. And Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied of these things. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment. Eh? To execute judgment. Upon all, to convince all them that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now take note of this, it says, that when the Lord comes with the ten thousands of his saints, it says, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all them that are ungodly, of all the things they do, of all their Christ's rejection, of all the things they have spoken against him. Pastor Glenn was on it this morning, about those and the things they do. The beasts, getting on like a beast, getting on the way they do against Christ. But here, Jude tells us, see the word there, to convince. Sometimes our English doesn't do the word justice. It doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord's going to come. In fact, it doesn't at all mean that the Lord's going to come and say, listen, I want to tell you, you know, you're sinful. And you've done wrong, you know, and you know, you're, you're, you're sinful against me and you know, my son, you've rejected him. I hope you see that. That's what a lot of people think. That's not what it means. It means God will lay it all out in front of them. Everyone that rejects Christ, he will lay their life out in front of them. Their ways out in front of them. Their doing out in front of them. Their rejection of Christ out in front of them. Their sin out in front of them. All of their nastiness and their, more, their, 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 their immorality in front of them. And he's going to lay it all out and he'll say, it's not what you see him trying to convince you this is who you are. He's saying, this is who you are. This is the way you were. This is how you treated my son. This is what you have done. That's the way it says it. And he's going to say, you're ungodly. And it's too late for you. You've rejected my son. It's a bit different now, isn't it? That's what it means to convince them. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus comes again, he's coming to the earth. This is what Job says. Job 19, verse 25, 27. This is what he said. The book of Job is said to be the possibly the oldest written book in our Bible. Listen to what it says. Job says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Sounds like Job had a faith for the resurrection of the dead, doesn't it? He says, worms will become worm food. And still God will resurrect my body. In my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. And mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Although I am dying, he says. Although, he says, I am perishing Although I'm a man of flesh and blood and bone, although I will go to the grave, he says, at the latter day, there's coming a day 
when my Savior will put his feet on the earth and I will be raised and I will see him with mine own eye, in mine own skin, glorified before him. And know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm going to be with him forever. Brothers and sisters, this is the full redemption of the saint of God. Listen, when Jesus comes again, we will rule and reign on earth. Revelation 5 verse 9 says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Out of every kindred tongue, people and nation. Verse 10, And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. On the earth. I must round us up the close. Listen to the words of Daniel, if you will. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 and verse 3. Daniel 12. Behold, or pardon me, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. I take note, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of of the firmament and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever do you know the world have this the world has this fanciful idea that when someone dies they become a star in the sky well that's just nonsense and they take it from this some of them to hear these wee stories oh oh you'll be like a star in the sky what daniel is saying there are those who are going to be as though a star shines in the sky in the darkness, glorified in their body. They're going to rise, as he says, to everlasting life. And be those that will rise to everlasting contempt. In Isaiah 62, and in verse 11, listen to what it says. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Now, now, see that word salvation. It can be the word Yasha or Yeshua. If that sounds familiar, that's because it's the name of Jesus. See, salvation, it's, uh, it's abstract. It's like love. It's abstract. Grace is abstract. It means abstract means without any material existence or form. It's no bodily shape. And salvation has no bodily shape. Israel could see the salvation of the Lord by the moving of the sides of the sea and the drying of the ground as they went through. They seen the salvation taking a shape. But salvation took a shape. Salvation took a shape in the form of a man. In the form of a person. And he went all the way to Calvary and he hung and bled and died on the cross. And hence we can see the salvation of the Lord when we look at Christ. Hence we can see the salvation, redemption in Christ when we look at his blood. Hence we can see the love of God in Christ. And this was the love of God manifested that God gave his son. And away in Isaiah's day it says, 
Behold thy salvation. You can put thy Yeshua. Yeshua HaMashiach is Jesus Messiah. Thy salvation, thy Jesus cometh. Now take note, behold his reward is with him. Would you say his reward is with him? See when Jesus comes again, his reward is with him. And what is the reward we've been speaking about it tonight? The full salvation or whole redemption that is in Christ. But notice, he says, and his reward is with him and his work before him. Revelation 22 and in verse 12. The risen, exalted, ascended, glorified Christ says these words to John in the Isle of Patmos. Revelation 22 and 12. Notice what he says. And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. You want to tell me Jesus just started at Bethlehem like a man? People want to tell you they don't believe in the deity of Christ. That he was the word that was with God and is God. That he's the son of God. They want to, they want to put him to the place where he's more, he's just a prophet. Islam says he's just a prophet. Oh, they revere him, but he's just a prophet. In fact, our Isa, who they think is Jesus, isn't our Jesus anyway. Because he never died. That means he never rose again. Which means he never paid our debt. And he never went to the cross. He's just a prophet. Judaism say that he, in their Talmudic writings. Forgive my language, but this is what it says. It says that Jesus was in witchcraft. And that he now is in the eternal hell burning in excrement. That's what the Jews' Talmudic writings tell us. The Unitarian Church, he's just a man. Jehovah's Witnesses, he was maybe a lesser God. The Mormons tell us he was the brother of Satan, Lucifer. The brother of Adam was all a family trying to work their way into Godhood. That's what they try to tell us. And now through the church, that's even, it's going rampant that they're trying to say, Jesus was nothing but a man, a good man, a prophetic man. That's all he was. Friend, I can tell you, Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him dwelleth all the fullness of deity, says the Greek text. The fullness of deity is in him. And he says in Isaiah 62, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him. And he says, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. When Jesus comes again, when Jesus comes again, will you be with him? Will you be in the first resurrection? The resurrection, whether we go on from this life and into the grave, would you be in the first resurrection of the dead? Or if you're alive and remain at the coming of Christ, would you be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, to have yourself, your body, fashioned like unto his own glorious body? Will you be like a priest and God, a, a priest on the, and kings on the, on the Christ and for his glory? Is that who you are tonight? 
Remember a conversation I said, the political powers of heaven will come and change this rotten, desperate, destitute, depraved, and vile society and world in which we live in. It's going to come, and there is, as Pastor Glenn said this morning, and we've said before, there's a new world order coming, and it's not the new world order of all of those high-ranking elitists and bankers and, and all of those who are trying to do all the things they're doing across the world and trying to cull the people and trying to cull the populations and tell us how we can live, what we can eat, what we can't eat, what we can do, what we can't do, what we can preach and what we can't preach. They're, they're looking at their new world order. But it's not going to happen because there's coming a new world order. It's the world order of the coming King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you give him the glory? He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. Are you ready? Church, are you ready?